It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Friday afternoon, a beautiful Friday afternoon, and the last day that I'm going to work before I get the hell out of here and go on vacation. I got to be honest with you, the uh, Sixers playoff run, quote unquote playoff run, it wasn't much of a playoff run, uh, took a few years off my life, so I'm looking forward to recharging the batteries getting away from the Ben Simmons discussion on Twitter. I'm not going to talk about Danny Green's comments anymore. We're going to leave that in the past. Uh, hopefully leave Danny Green in the past as well. Nice guy, but I think they can move on from him. Uh, but that's another story for another time and another podcast. This is about your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union. Uh, we had a game against Red Bull we got to talk about. We have a game against Nashville we're sort of going to talk about. And uh, joining the program. Uh, to discuss it with me, making making his uh, his return to oh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia. Is Chris Gibbons from the All Three Points podcast and Philly Soccer Page. Chris, what's good, man? And Kevin, it's so good to be here. You know, you talk about the Sixers. That the last ten years of Sixers basically gets boiled down to like Simmons didn't work, process didn't work, everything else. Like, there's no other detail that really matters. <laughs> it just didn't work. The end. That's it. I, you know, I always appreciate when the Philly athletes tell the Philly fans um, in any sport what they need from them on how they need to behave. Because first of all, you're never going to win that fight. You know, it's like one athlete versus uh, 2 million people. Right. And uh, I, I, it's not a one way street, like an athlete or a coach should be able to say whatever they want to the media or to fans. We're not infallible. We deserve criticism or, or whatever at the same time. But uh, Danny green, basically asking for unconditional support from a, from a town that endured the process endured all the crappy years before the, process thoracic outlet syndrome uh, a max player who can't shoot a free throw all these other things you, you, under, you understand why i why i feel the way i do the the so my, i've been in philly for 16 years my family's been here shoot i don't know another 70 or 80 before that the reason why we're here the reason why my life my wife loves living in philly is that you always know where you stand with everybody in this town <laughs> there are no punches <laughs> pulled there's no passive it's just like i'm gonna tell you exactly how i feel yeah and then it just cleans the palate and so i guess it's good telling fans exactly how you feel except they're gonna tell you right back so i'm not really sure what it does that's very true we um for all the things that Philadelphia is, we do do a great job of just putting the bullshit off to the side, kind of scraping that with Occam's razor and getting, yeah. getting through the stuff that doesn't matter. And we're just going to, whether you want to hear it or not, we're going to be uh, uh, unfiltered. That's right. That's uh, so let's, so let's be unfiltered about the Philadelphia union. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it, there was a lot to talk about from last night's game. We're recording on Friday. They played Thursday night. There's a lot to talk about from that game of, you know, the red card, the denial of a goal scoring opportunity, the equalizing goal, the tactical shift that Jim uh, made in the second half when he was down a man. Um, yeah, but let's go macro first. I guess, you know, if you look at three road game, three game road trip, they ended up with a 3-3 draw. They ended up with a one nothing loss and a 1-1 draw. Two points out of nine is not amazing. Um, I mean, I, I think from a macro level, I think we would probably both agree that this team as currently constructed having won a trophy last year and the higher expectations, you'd probably expect more than two points out of nine on a three game road trip. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, you know, then we'll talk about the Nashville game. That was the biggest surprise to me. Um, but yeah, probably the over under on what's acceptable is probably three and a half, maybe four. Um, so yeah, it is a disappointing road trip. The, the interesting part about this season and, and same went for 2020 is there's so many caveats. Like these just aren't games on paper. They're games amidst, weirdly compacted schedules and international duties and you know travel restrictions like all these weird things there's no um there's no singular reason why it wasn't good other than it just wasn't that good and there's just 
a lot of unevenness over three games. So I think that's a fair, that's fair to say it was underwhelming and not good enough. Yeah, I think there's still a little bit of identity building for them, especially offensively. I'm not really sure what they are when they're not turning teams over and creating these transition opportunities and going from back to, uh, you know, creating uh, offense out of defense. Um, let's kind of go micro, though, before we get into that at all. Yeah, um, yeah. The red, so the red card was obviously the biggest play from last night, changed the, um, the entire uh, course of the game. You know, we were talking about on the post-game show last night on The Gambler, and uh, I, I put the blame, of course, both on Jacob Glessness and Matt Fries. But, I, you know, I, I think I picked an arbitrary number of like 41% Glessness fault. I made like 59% Freeze fault. Because I think even though the ball was short, I, I felt like there was a little – there was a window there for him to kind of get up and maybe like hack it clear with his left foot. Um, maybe you just kind of – bang it against the striker and hope it doesn't go into your goal or, or you could slide too and take the ball and clean the guy out at the same time. I mean, if you, if you, if I'm asking you to kind of pass blame on that, I mean, how would you, how would you do it between those two guys? I think my order is, is keeper first. Um, you know, and I, I say this with a major caveat, like I, I'm not sure freeze should have been even in the 18 yesterday. I realized that Blake is gone and, and freeze is your backup, but that guy has been through a lot the last yeah. couple of days. And, yeah. um, I just know when I've lost people close to me, I'm not trying to go to work a couple of days later. That's <laughs> the very last thing on my mind. Yeah. Um, but if we just look at it in a vacuum, right, I think it's probably keeper first. I know you're a defender. I've been a defender my whole life, basically. I never feel comfortable hitting the ball back to a keeper. I just, you know, they're, they're keepers. They're good with their hands and not their feet. If I mm-hmm. can avoid that pass, I try and avoid it. I thought what Glesnitz did uh, was probably under hit it specifically so that the wet grass didn't make it skip. Um, and so, right. Yeah. He definitely deserves some blame in there. I just think it's a bad look all around. They sort of got caught flat footed on a long ball over the top. And then all yeah. of a sudden everybody's uncomfortable. Glesnitz is running towards his own goal. He's trying to hit it across his body with a man on his shoulder to a guy who, even if he's a hundred percent in it, I, I still think deserved the night off. Um, so I just, I don't know. I just didn't, it wasn't pretty. Everybody's to blame. And it's uh, frankly of, of the road trip, right? The third, really uncharacteristic blunder two yeah, on goals and then yeah. this thing yeah. they do they do keep you know making mistakes i think that are preventable too and i think mm-hmm. you can ask yourself at, at some point okay well if they're all fixable or you know that the stuff they don't <laughs> normally do then why do they keep happening and yeah. i don't think that's a podcast topic because i don't think you can answer that i mean i think only they're the they're, they're the only ones who can answer it but look i, th- I think i i give jim a lot of credit in this game because <clears throat> we can go through the situations here there's a couple situations so uh, you know when you go down a man uh, obviously the way you play is dictated by what the, the circumstances of the game, what the score line is. If you're up to nothing and you go down a man, you're probably going to shell and sit back and just try not to concede. If it's nil, nil, or if it's one, one, or if it's two, two, you're probably going to do the same thing and say like, look, let, let's, you know, let's get out of here with a point, you know, cause we're at a disadvantage right now. Let's just make it hard on them to score. You know, in the case of last night, you get the denial of the goal scoring opportunity, you get the red card, the penalty. It's like triple, je- triple jeopardy, double jeopardy at the same time. So <clears throat> you, you know, you need a goal. Right. And so I think what a lot of um, coaches do or traditionally have done is, you know, if you're playing like a four man back line, you keep the back line out there, you play your four midfielders and then you just go with one striker. Right. Four, four, one. And, and Jim, to his credit, kept Shabilko on the field, brought Sergio Santos on, uh, played like a four, three, two, gave him some directness and some verticality. And, um, you know, that ended up paying off. And I just I just think it was there's not a lot of times in soccer outside of substitutions where you say, okay, the coach did this or got this right, or he made this adjustment. But I thought that was a very smart way to approach it from Jim based on what the game dictated at the time. Yeah, I agree. It's um, gutsy. I don't think it's a call he would have made three years ago. Um, 
And three years ago, the thing that kept happening that we kept talking about was how terrible they were on set pieces. And it's like, sooner or later, guys, you're going to figure this out because you're giving away, you know, 15 points over the course of a season. Um, but no, I thought it was really gutsy move. I thought bringing on Santos, even though he was the obvious option, was a smart option too, because one thing Red Bull does uh, that they've proven to do over the last couple of years is they just get tired of pressing. They, they are so good and so frantic. Uh, they just tired themselves out. And so Santos was a perfect guy because he's super fast and super strong. And um, the other thing I thought that was savvy about it was, um, right, the union don't necessarily need to have numbers all over the field, but they want to try and create numbers in little boxes along the field. And so mm-hmm. being down a man, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt in the same way uh, for everyone because what the union are trying to do is just create a three-on-two in the corner or create a four-on-three somewhere so that you can get Mbizo with 10 yards of space like he had and Santos sort of moving between the center backs like he did. It's not pretty all the time. And certainly if you're throwing him 40 crosses a game and you score on one, then that's not a great conversion ratio, but it's exactly what the union do. And frankly, they don't ever want to play down a man, but it didn't play necessarily to their weaknesses all that much. No, that's a great point. You know, I think when you're playing down a man, it hurts you if you're a team that uses the in- entirety of the field or you're a possession team like euro 2020 spain right, or you're you know, right. you trying to maximize the the entirety of the field but right you're talking about specific pockets of space where you can create a 4v3 or a 3v2 or a 5v4 you can do that when you're playing 10v11 right so i mean they still can play their game i, I don't you you probably felt the same way i did because you can played uh still play have played throughout your entire life but I was in pain watching the first 30 minutes of that game because I'm like, how the hell are these dudes going to keep this pace up? I felt like I was watching Federer versus uh, Nadal and Wimbledon or something. My head was just going back and forth and back and forth. I felt like the camera operator probably got uh, his money's worth just shifting that thing left and right because it's a mirror match. It's two pressing teams that are playing the exact same thing. And it's like, what what is the difference in those games? And in the first Red Bull Philly game, it was Corey... Corey Burke, Corey Burke. and Ariel and, and just, you know, Flipping nothing right into something yeah. kind of play. And like, that's what happened for both the goals last night. It was like, you know, just a high tempo, frenetic, hectic game. And at some point uh, somebody's going to slip up and there was one of those for each team. Yeah. The, you're right. The first 30 minutes were absolutely bonkers. Um, the, the silver lining for me, honestly, was I think Red Bull presses better than the union right now. I think they're a little more, assertive like there there might be two steps forward compared yeah. to where the union are as a group uh and they lack that that final third which right it's like Caden Clark's specialty and um yeah but what came out of it was because they were so high up I actually thought the union had little bits of possession that looked a lot like 2018 union like the 4231 Madunian union yeah um which you know they were fleeting because I don't think they're they're clicking together but it made me really consider that um if they can pull this off against Red Bulls while Red Bull still has a lot of energy, there, there might actually be some stuff that's starting to come together in that midfield. Yeah. And that was really encouraging. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's just, it's just fascinating to, for me to just to watch two, two teams that play the same style, knowing that um, Philly, I know that Bob Bradley said it in kind of a, it wasn't, it wasn't a derogatory kind of way. It wasn't a smart kind of was. way. It was, <laughs> it was a little dis, dismissive because dismissive. it wasn't, you know, he, he was just trying, I think he was poo-pooing the fact that they had some uh, fancy new system or whatever. And he was just saying, well, they're a Red Bull. We, we've seen this before. They're just a Red Bull team. And yeah, like factually, he was not wrong. Like that's correct. That's what yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, so in the Nashville game, Gosh Dog comes on, he plays as an eight. I hated it. Um, Jim then, 
plays him as a striker. In this game, obviously, Corey Burke is away on international duty, and so he has Leon Flock at the eight. He's got Padoy at the other eight, Montero at the 10. Jose Martinez is back, and then it was Shabilko up top. Um, I thought Gajdaj looked a lot better as a striker. What did you think? Yeah, uh, 100% agree. Uh, you know, the the union system, Casper Shabilko has found his home in the union system because one of the things he does is go out wide to find the ball. It's like, the, he's like Christian Maidana in that sense. Like he's always tucked at the top corner of the 18, just like trying to make a triangle with somebody. But the problem with that, of course, is if he's out there, then he's not in the box receiving the crosses. Yeah. And I think if he and Gajdog work together, it'll be Gajdog sitting in that third point of the triangle and Shabilko off the back shoulder, which is right what you want from your big target striker. So, um, you know, the the video game version of this is Santos should always come off the bench because he's fast and strong and everybody else is tired when he comes yeah. off the bench. Yeah. So if Gajdog starts there and then the switch is turn Shabilko into the holdup guy and Santos running in behind him, I think that works really well because I'm not sure any of the three strikers have staked a claim to that spot yet. And the midfield is super crowded. This is the rhetorical question that we did on the post game show last night and we'll turn it into an exercise um, for this podcast. Cause we always like to do an exercise on the podcast. And um, so let's, let's, let's say that you're the coach. I'm giving you the team sheet and uh, or no, I'm not even giving you a team sheet. I'm in a vacuum. I'm going to give you six players and I'm going to give you the entirety of the striker core and the midfield core. And if you're giving me a top five or top six out of that combined player pool, how many strikers are in there? Oh man, probably one. Probably Casper, right? Probably Casper, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you would go Martinez, Bedoya, Jamiro, uh, Leon Flock's probably in there, Gosh Dog's probably in there, and then Shabilk. So, like, right, if you're combining that all into one group, if your option is to push a midfielder up, instead of playing a striker who probably doesn't deserve to be on the field right now, or we had a situation where it's just going to be five midfielders and one playing as a striker. I guess that makes yeah, sense. That makes sense. Um, you, no, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, union fans keep calling for this magical underpriced, perfect striker to come and save the day. Uh, and I, you know, after last night's game, I can see where those arguments come. I can see where those arguments are, are founded. Um, I still kind of believe, though, that they're, you know, four or five games away from the chemistry that'll make that a little redundant. Um, it, it would all, always be useful to have better players at every position, but I think they're looking for a magic bullet that I don't think really exists. Um, at the risk of boring my listeners to death, like the fourth straight episode talking about the same topic, um, I don't like Jameer. I, it's not that I don't like Jameer with a 10. I just think he's a, much, a, a really, really good eight. Um, do you think he's a 10? No, I think what he provides at the 10 um, that actually Leon Flock provides and Bedoya doesn't really anymore is that the way that he chases down the ball from behind. Um, there's only a couple guys on the field that make you really uncomfortable with the ball once they've beaten you. And Flock and Montero are those two guys. So I can understand from Jim's perspective, um, if you get past the first line, if you can split that first line and get through, you want somebody who's just going to bust ass and go get the ball and Miro's that guy and he wins so many I don't know the number from last night but it seemed he won a half dozen challenges from behind last night so no from a creative side it's probably not right from a defensive side I get it um but honestly if I think about what the team looks like in six months I think it's Montero at the eight and Gajdag at the 10 and Bedoya on the bench um because I just don't think he's providing the runs right now 
see that's an interesting topic and i see fans bringing it up and um it's hard to to think about you know a guy who's been here for five years six years u.s international are they better off with uh, a leon flock at the eight and a jameer montero at the eight i it's hard i it's hard for me to say no to that you know because i think look i mean you and i both lived it man and we're not professional athletes where we got the ice bath and the massage and then we don't have to work for the rest of the day after we, after we play um, uh, wherever we were playing a couple of years ago, but the reality, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but like, I felt like I started slowing down around 30, 32, maybe just for the fact that it was like, I think you still felt like you could do everything that you could do. Like oh, your skills don't diminish. You can still hit a shot the way that you hit a shot. You can still put in a slide tackle the way that you can put it in, but like cumulatively, the recovery periods are longer and your body feels it a little bit more. And I, you know, I, I can't speak for Alejandro Bedoya personally, but he's or how he feels, but he's logged a ton of minutes in his career. He, he plays almost every game for this team. Um, I mean, is there anything more profound to say beyond the fact that father time is undefeated? No, you know, even two or three years ago, he would say things in press conferences, like sort of tongue in cheek. I'm old. I can't make these runs in the 94th minute anymore. Uh, and like, he's yeah. a really honest yeah. guy. So that makes sense. Um, no, I felt the same way. Again, I, there's some, there's something about bring having a guy like that on your team, but also being able to bring a guy like that off your bench, if you need to, uh, you know, if you can add Santos and Bedoya off your bench in the last 30 minutes of a game, now you've suddenly got, one guy who is just probably among the smartest soccer players on the team and another guy who makes every single person, the six people in front of your goal, worried about a run all the time. It's just psychologically, I think it's really powerful, specifically if Elsino's not around, which it sounds like he just might not be around. Uh, You know, the one thing that bothers me about this team more than anything, and I asked asked Jim about this um, on the Zoom call earlier this week. I guess he spoke Tuesday. Um, you can have a style play. You can be a pressing team. You want to turn teams over and counterattack and get out in transition. But, you know, at, at some point uh, throughout the game, multiple points throughout the game, you're going to find yourself with possession of the ball with your goalkeeper and your center backs and whatever. And whether you like it or not, you're going to have to do something with the ball. And, uh, you know, uh, to use another cross-sport comparison here, I know people are going to roll their eyes at this, but West West Virginia, believe it or not, is the perfect example of how I would do this because – Major maybe, Harris era, West Virginia, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the good era. That was the good era. Yeah, the, the era of Bob Huggins basketball is a lot of gimmicky full-court press. We're going to defend 90 feet up the floor. We're going to turn you over. We're going to hit the offensive glass. We're going to – you know, collect our own misses and we're going to put them back and we're going to turn you over 25 times. But at some point you're going to be standing there in the half court needing to create a shot of your own. So like if, if you are Jim Curtin or you're running the show, like what, what, how did they, what, what do they do in possession? What are they in possession? Like, do you play Kai Wagner for, do you try to get him Bizo more forward Do the strikers have to get more involved? I just, I feel like they don't have a lot of, uh, I feel like they just don't have a lot of ideas when they do have the ball. Yeah, you. I think you're leading the chorus on that. Um, formationally, from their ethos, right? I think it is Wagner and Mbizo that have to get involved. the The job of a wingback in that system is, I, I mean, I would argue it's essentially impossible, right? You have to be a perfect attacking winger and a perfect 
stand-up defender one-on-one and you have to do both of those things all the time um so yeah i think that's probably true the when the union were good at that or the times they've been really good at that at least observationally it seems to me like it's because two middle players have come down to help that wing Mm -hmm. person so you have your forward and you have your winger wing back whatever and then you've got the Elsinos of the world, the Monteros of the world, the Gajdogs of the world, the Bedoys of the world who are coming in to create that overload. Because, right, if you got four and three over there, yeah, yeah. somebody on the defense either has to drop in or drop over. So I just don't see them doing enough of that. Like when I see Mbaiza with the ball on the wing, I think he's got sort of Shabilko posted up. He might have Bedoya coming to help him, but he doesn't always have Montero helping him too or vice versa. Yeah. And so it leaves them with one pass and then maybe an overlapping run. And that becomes really, really redundant, which is why you're seeing so many crosses just kind of go to nothing. Yeah, you know, and they, right. I mean, the hallmark of this team for, for a long time is they get up in, into those high, high channeled triangles and Bedoya would be up there knocking the ball around with yeah. Dogecall and Gaddis and right. Keegan, Keegan Rosenberry and Ilsenio before them. And it always felt like they they could do those overload positive number kind of things, not just to turn teams over, but to just knock the ball around too. And it's, it seems like they don't, they don't have that right now. Um, let me just go back through my chicken scratch here and just hit on a couple bullet points. Yeah. And um, uh, gosh, dog had a couple like tweeners. There was one where he shot the ball and maybe could have passed it. There was another header that he cut uh, that he tried to put on goal instead of hitting it back across the grain. It seemed like his teammates were a little frustrated with those. Did you make anything of that? Uh, I just get the sense they don't know each other. Um, you know, the first one, uh, the one he shot on goal, and it was like a three on two or something. Um, it's really easy for us to look at that and say, you had Montero and Bodoya a yard and a half behind you. I, I think most strikers in the world are going to give, give it a go. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't have too much for that. With, for the header, the header, it actually seemed like he was taking a calculated risk, which was the union always play that ball back across. He was hoping Coronel was going to take a step and he could catch him in the corner, but he didn't. So, yeah, I don't have a problem with that either. I mean, you're a new player playing for a new team. You're trying to get off the mark. You're yeah. Looking for the freaking yeah. looking for that, like that good start, that burst of, uh, of energy and confidence. I, I didn't really have a problem with that either. Uh, the drew yearwood challenge, uh, yellow or red, man. Uh, I, tweeted, I, said, I said orange card. It's definitely an orange card. Yeah. It's the kind of foul that in either case, no one would have been, no one would have been outraged had it been a red. I think that it was a yellow sort of felt like, he got away with one, but it, I tweeted that if it were a Sunday league game, Drew would have had a bunch of cleat marks in his knee by the end of the night from the union. Cause yeah, I think what looked worse was it's just like those targeting fouls or crossover sports here, right? So there's targeting fouls when the tight end goes down to get the ball. And so all of a sudden now he's lined up exactly with the crown of somebody else's helmet or his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. It's ugly. I don't know that it's anybody's fault, but he, he lit him up. That's for sure. I remember, um, I think it was 2015. Zach Pfeffer got a red card for an elbow to yeah. Mauro Diaz's head. And yeah. I was, I mentioned it to DeGeorge last night and, and Matt said that he, uh, he thought there was like elbow movement or that he did move his arm towards him. But uh, regardless, I think, you know, the guy, it was a guy coming in from higher catching a guy who was smaller and lower to the ground. And like some of those look worse, I think than they actually are. You know, because like you're talking about like these like like cornerbacks, right? Like now they're told not to hit the head. So like they kind of ease up and they end up just clocking the guy with their shoulder. Right. Instead, and they look just as bad because they're, you know, they're snapping back and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, if there was a, we'll just say it was a dark shade of orange. It was like a blood orange. <laughs> there you go. Or something if they have it. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Um, I don't think I have any more uh, Red Bull notes. Was there, was there anything else from... Um, from from this game specifically that that uh, st- stood out to you? Uh, 
You know, this is somebody mentioned this about the Chicago game too. This is one of those games that just sort of like melts into the midsummer of the year, right? You look back and you go, oh man, how did we draw Chicago? Like, you know, and you sort of forget the details. And I think for this one, it'll maybe be a little bit more memorable. But when you look back in October, you'll go, oh, okay, they went to Red Bull and got a point. So now they beat them at home. They drew on the road. <laughs> you know, it all sort of shakes out. They, they yeah. did what they need to do. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny because I feel like, you know, it's not to go negadelphia on the union or whatever. I just think that expectations are justifiably higher now. I think that they hold themselves to higher expectations too. I think we all acknowledge what they do. Well, I think that I think that I think the union fan base now having dabbled a lot more with the Sixers fan base and the Eagles fans <laughs> and stuff like that. I think that we are infinitely more pragmatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> reasonable than most oh, of the most yeah. of the other people out there. So I think I think there's not a lot. I think it's like Hey, these guys want a trophy. We expect more. They expect more from themselves too. I think everybody's on the same page as far as like what the macro level kind of like atmosphere is surrounding the team. So I think it's, I think people are justified in feeling, Hey, you know, they probably should have got more than two out of two out of nine possible points, you know? Um, okay. Just some Nashville notes and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. Just a couple more for you. Um, you know, it was interesting because I counted five mistakes on the goal. They gave up to Nashville. Jim said he counted seven on, um, on on wednesday and i already had already asked a question in the press conference so i wasn't going to follow up at the very end and just say hey one more for you do what was the sixth and seventh mistake you know because i only counted <laughs> five right but um, um i think every, i think it's fresh enough in everybody's mind even though the game is a week old you know transition opportunity cj sapong comes down it's like a two on four and they score off of it so this, so this is this is what i saw um First of all, it's a set piece. You can never allow a fucking, excuse me, you can never allow a fucking counterattack off your own set piece. Yep. Um, it's like one of the cardinal sins of, of, of soccer, right? So if, if Jamiro can't clear the first guy and he's hitting it short, then they, they got odd numbers going the other way and people are, uh, his teammates are stuck in the box, right? So that's mistake number one. Mistake number two is that he kind of misjudges the, the ball coming back to him and it, it bounces over his head because he can't sort of read the flight of the ball, right? So that's mistake number two. Mistake number three, Leon Flock playing at the six, comes in to try to close down. The guy completely whiffs, takes out the dude. Um, I'm surprised he didn't get a retroactive yellow for that after play was allowed to continue. But it's like, you know, it's like, I was talking with John Jansen on the postgame show. It's like, you know, it's kind of like the NBA. Like if you're stuck in that and you got to like bring the guy down, bring him down. You don't want it. You don't want your six to have to take a yellow that early in the game, but it's, it's, it's workable. It's, it's yeah. manageable, you know? Mistake number four, Elliot, Jack Elliott did a good job actually pushing CJ kind of off, off the ball and making him get rid of that ball and pass it. But then he kind of lost him, um, you know, in the continuation of the run. So I'm not sure what happened there. And then the fifth one, and you can speak to this as a defender and a guy who's played your entire life. But so you got Jacob Glasses and you got Olivia and Baizo on the back end who are trying to scramble in transition. And at that point, they uh, and Baizo tried to pass off the positioning back to Glessness, who was not ready to be in that position. Like you know, it's it's the same. It's the same in any sport. You talk about in the NBA, you talk about loading to the ball, stopping the ball, you know, preventing that upfield pass, that upcourt pass. It's always a it's always a first principle of transition defense is stop stop the forward movement and the guy with the ball. Um, and you can't go back to your original responsibility until the threat is extinguished. So I think Mbizo and Glessness were both to bl- both deserve a lot of blame for that because Sapong is still moving. The play is still active. Like you got to stop that, get the ball out of play or wait for a whistle or whatever happens. And then you can reset to, to inside and outside. So that was my, those are the five I counted. I don't Did I miss anything there? I wonder if you give one to Glessness and Mbizo though, you got, you got your six and now maybe uh, you give Blake some responsibility, right? <laughs> okay, for maybe, not maybe cutting up the what, angle. Yeah. Maybe uh, you split the one, one mistake into two. Maybe that's what. No, uh, I, I, I thought the most, I thought the most ironic 
all of that stuff is true. Uh, to me, it, live, it felt like Flock and Elliot had the biggest responsibility. And then going back to watch it, um, the Montero and the Glessons and Visa thing stood out more. So I think everybody has their blame. You can't switch unless you've got your lane, right? Like you can't just call a guy to cover your spot if you if the spot is empty, which it basically was. Mm-hmm. Um, the the irony of the whole thing for me was like CJ played here for what four years, three years, five years. He, yeah. Did he ever score a goal from outside the box in that I, whole time? I do, not rem- I do not remember a single one. No. And then he gets no. one in the second minute against. <laughs> perfect, just perfect. <laughs> In a, in a like a grotesquely odd way, it, it like yeah validated all of the starts that Jim Jim gave him for. Um, no, I, so I, yeah. I don't know where I heard this analogy, but I use it all the time, which is ridiculous because I should figure out where it came from. But I've heard somebody call these like Swiss cheese problems, where like if you looked at each individual slice of cheese, you'd just be like, oh, there's a hole there. But then if you stacked all the cheeses up to all the pieces together, you'd see that the hole goes all the way through. Oh, like yeah. each one of these things is not particularly bad, right? Mis- right? Montero misjudging a ball is fine if Flock can clean it up, which if he can't clean it up is fine as long as Elliot keeps Sapong outside the box because he never scores from there, which is fine. If right, you know, like each one of these compounds upon itself. Um, and the the hard part about soccer specifically, and like I guess hockey's in this too, is if you make a mistake in the second minute, it can be just as deadly as making a mistake in the 95th minute and they made this mistake early it seemed like they were a little flat and then all of a sudden they were behind and and had to chase and they just and never felt like they got out of that because that's what nashville wants they just they'll bunker and they'll defend all day long yeah and to make my fifth or sixth cross sport comparison of the podcast which has become a thing now lately um and Jim has said this before, but they're not, they're not a team that is built to play uh, from behind. And in that way, they are the L- Lamar Jackson Baltimore Ravens, right? So they can't, they can't get out. We do some great comparisons on the show. The Ray Gaddis, um, Cesar Hernandez comparison is still, I think, my favorite one of all time because he's not going to win you a game, but he's not going to lose, gonna you. lose you one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean they're like the Lamar Jackson Ravens because you don't you get down ten nothing, you throw a pick six and then they kick a field goal. You're down ten nothing within the first five minutes of the game. Is Lamar Jackson throwing you back into a win? No, because you got to establish the run. The Union are a team that needs to establish the proverbial run, which is to press the shit out of you and tire yeah. you out and and play play this this game of a, of uh, attrition. You know, and you can't you can't burn a team on a on attrition when that when you're playing from behind you know and that that to me goes it goes into the problem with the diamond and this the system in general is because you know in years past they had the four two three one they're able to switch they're able to bring el senior on do some individual kind of stuff and now 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 it seems to me i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i i don't i don't really know i don't i don't really know what plan b is right now if it's not working for him you know the thing is i don't even know that there was a plan b when el senior was here other than put el senior on right like just throw him on the field just, and let him, just give him the ball yeah yeah, yeah because it, when that happened what you ended up seeing was almost bedoya at right back and gaddis sort of tucked in at that sort of double pivot and el senior on the right you know there wasn't any structure to it other than i don't know put him on the right and see what happens so yeah. You know, I I get into these debates with the PSP commentators who I just love because I think they're very smart and they do what they do. But there isn't really a team in the whole world that's good at breaking down a a bunker defense. And so that the union are bad at it. It's not so much comforting as it is just like, that's the reality. If you sit 10 guys behind the ball, it's really hard for anybody to break you down because scoring in soccer is hard to begin with, let alone if there's 10 guys in the way plus a keeper. So no, it's not, it's not a problem that's unique to them. You know, I mean, how many times we watched the best teams in the world that are unable to break down a, 
a Jose Mourinho. Yeah. A, Chelsea uh, won the low, Premier League and scored like eight goals, right? Oh, block. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> okay. or those inter- internationality teams or whatever. Right. You know? So it's not, it's not right. I think there's comfort in knowing that it's not, they're not the only ones who struggle with that kind of thing. I would just like to see at least a little bit more of an idea of what they want to do um, going into it. But um, yeah, you know, it's funny with the El Senior thing because uh, I think there was a video clip of like Jim was mic'd up or they, you could hear it on the broadcast or something like that. He literally said, all right, guys, we're going to just get the ball to El Senio. Like that was the quite wasn't even it wasn't any more tactical uh, acumen to it other than kick kick the ball to your best guy in space and let him do it. But that's the Cleveland Cavaliers analogy, right? Like just kick it to LeBron. It doesn't matter. Like the <laughs> no. other four sacks of potatoes out there, it's gonna be fine. Um, all right. Well, we went about thirty five, so we're, let's wrap it up on this. I don't really have any more notes. Actually, you know, let me just rip through the notes from the Nashville game. Um, yeah, the Jack Mayer, there was a blatant illegal screen that they, he's perfectly set that I thought should have been whistled on that one play. I love a good illegal screen is if you hide it, then the ref's not going to see it. Um, Glessness, I, he had Glessness, I think once per game has one of these runs up the field where he's like, fuck it, I'm going. Mm-hmm. You know, and you guys, it's, to me, it's like, a, I've seen this thing as a center back. I've experienced this myself. When you get frustrated with the guys in front of you, just like, all right, I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to fake all the passes and I'm just going to run straight. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And then, and then you, um, then you find yourself about 40 yards down. You're like, oh, now what? You know? <laughs> uh, Cause you're never, you're never in that part of the field. Anyway, except in that place. Except right. when you're walking with your hands over your head to get, to get up there for the set piece, you know? Uh-huh. Um, that was about it. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really have anything else on the Nashville game. I thought Gage Dog still had some moments there. He, you see these like little tricks and flicks from him where he looks like he does have some creativity. So I'd like to just see him get um, yeah. a little further advanced. All right, so it's ended on this. Um, you know, they got a they got DC coming up on the seventeenth. Are are they a? Uh, f- um, is this a team that's winning a playoff game? And do they have any chance of uh, repeating as, as Shield winners? What, what's what's the the seasonal outlook for you? Yeah, I don't. I think no on the Shield. Seattle seems to just be mowing people down. Um, in terms of playoffs, yeah, I think they're probably a first round win. the The East is just watered down right now, um, yeah. and specifically during the summer with everybody with the international stuff. The, nobody's getting good points here. There's going to be, you know, to me, it feels like there's going to be 10 points between first and 10th come October. Uh, and I think the union are on the right side of that probably win a home game. Um, I, you know, I don't know the, the thing about predicting the playoffs, right. Is it's just this random draw of opponents and then also game conditions in game. So two wins. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they are, Let's see if my computer wants to work here. 20 points, third place in the East, which feel, you know, I think sometimes we got to remind ourselves, okay, they're still they're pretty third good. They're playing well. Yeah, they're doing yeah. well. So you got Club America coming up, a lot of stuff to look forward to. And uh, hopefully some more podcasts coming up in the future to look forward to as well. Everybody, it's Chris Gibbons from the All Three Points podcast and the Philly Soccer page. Um, that's where we Thanks, can find man. your stuff. I was just going to ask you where we could find your stuff. I just that's said it. where we can find your stuff. So there you go. <laughs> that's the spot. Thanks for coming on, man. Have a uh, good weekend, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again, all right? Yeah, man, you too. See you. All right. all right, let's see what you got in the way of questions and comments and concerns. We're going to start off with Ian Williams. Uh, he says, I was unable to watch the Pink Cow match due to work. Uh, Gosh dog up top, question mark. Brief summary on how he was used and how he uh, – looked doing it appreciate you and your work well thank you i appreciate you guys for listening and for reading um yeah you know we went over it a little bit i thought that he had some good moments um 
kind of some incisive direct moments, you know, in addition to that shot that he took that he maybe could have passed in addition to that header that he maybe could have hit back across the box. There was another moment where he, um, uh, put his foot in the ground, turned, went upfield and had a really, really nice uh, dribble, um, against, I think it was Tolkien. I think the left back and, uh, you tried to slip that ball behind Edwards for Shabilko and just left it too far in front of him. And, uh, the keeper came out, Cornell came out and got it. But, uh, I, yeah, I thought there were some good moments. I mean, you see that the quality that the individual quality is, 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 is there and there's something to build on for sure. I think it's about assimilating him, getting him, in, um, to understand his teammates a little bit, getting, getting him settled into the system. And I, th- I think he'll be just fine, but I like, I liked him a lot more. Uh, so certainly as a striker versus playing as an eight. Oh, this is Union Hulk checking in. Uh, believe it or not, this comment is all capital letters. He says, Kevin Dino, it's your Hulky. Uh, where are the goals coming from, boo? Where is our finisher? And also, why did they do Zoolander 2? That fucking stupid idea. Did anybody think at the end of Zoolander 1 that there needed to be more to tell? And also, um, also where are the goals coming? Hulky needs those goals to win some shit. Uh, yes, uh, that's a good question. Uh, well, you know, look, I, I, I think, uh, I think guys dog playing up there is going to help unlock that. Hopefully you go him and Shabilko and then Santos is your super sub off the bench. I mean, it's probably the best thing that you could do right now. You know, I think guys dog, believe it or not, was plus 700 score, um, at any time last night, that was a pretty good bet. That that's a bet that would have been that, that I think you put money on. Um, and if you lose, you don't feel bad about it because plus seven hundred for a guy who was bumped up from the midfield to striker. Um, that's kind of an accidental. Thing. That's like a positional. You kind of like take advantage of that. You don't see that that often. So when you see odds like that for a guy playing as a forward, I think you got to take them. You know so. Um, Vince says this team needs a clinical finisher. Discuss. Yeah, I'm not much to discuss. I agree with that. Uh, Colin says with the freeze red card and Blake at the gold cup, uh, what do you think the, uh, the union will do for a backup for Bendick? Well, they have, they did sign the other guy from Louisville. Um, Greg, uh, what's his face? Ron, Ron, uh, Ranjit Singh, Ran, Ranjit Singh. I, I can't pronounce his last name. I'm, I'm like, I'm recording the second half of this at like nine o'clock at night, so I'm completely fried. But yeah, they did. They went out and took care of that already. They went out and signed a fourth goalkeeper. Um, Jay Locke says the window is open. Will a, a new union player climb through it? I hope so personally, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, John Nagy says I liked uh, Cashper and uh, Gosh Dog up top around the 18 yard box. Your thoughts on? Uh, on Cashper going out wide on the right, it seemed like he was uh, just in the way out there tonight. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, I mean, I, I think some strikers naturally will pull wide when they feel like they're not seeing the ball or they're not getting enough of the ball. You know, Chris mentioned earlier in the podcast that uh, Chaco Maidana used to do that when he was playing as a ten. He used to like to drift in those wide areas and and hit crosses in and. Uh, David Villa did a lot of this when he played for New York City FC where they played 4-2-3-1 and he was on the top uh, by himself and he kind of drifted into those corners, especially at Yankee Stadium where there wasn't a lot of room to operate. He would do that too. Maybe that's a way for Cashper to get it on the ball, but I don't think I see him just – I don't think I see him – he doesn't have to go left or right necessarily. He just needs to drop. 
drop and ask for the ball. You know, I remember 2018, 2019, I swear to God, he was coming back. He was getting on. He was holding the ball a little bit. He had, um, you know, he's got good feet, soft feet for a big guy. He was able to control it, kind of fended, uh, fend the defender off enough so that you could push the lines up and get some bodies forward. And I don't, you know, I, I don't really see a lot of that. You know, he's not really active off the ball. I think, I think it's... You, know, you get strikers that will stand on the back shoulder and kind of wait for service or wait for the ball to come their way. But um, I feel like he had been more active off the ball in previous years. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, Reese says, uh, why are they constantly overcomplicating things? Every single attack they try to do too much. Uh, and they get let down because they can't pick the pass they need. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, well, I don't even know if they're over complicating things. I think, I think, you know, they're just not really a team that's got, um, you know, incisive, um, small, t- you know, tight quarters, uh, you know, play playmaker kind of dudes. I, you know, they really don't have kind of that, uh, clinical number 10. They got a number eight playing as a number 10 and the two strikers are kind of, you know, redundant. I don't, I don't know if there's a ton of individual quality when it comes to final third pass picking out, um, and things of that nature. So, um, I mean, I agree it's, you know, it's, it's, they can't, they typically can't find the final pass, but I don't, I don't know if it's because they're overcomplicating it. I just think there's just not a lot of individual quality there. Uh, duper dubs. He says, let's get a Ray Gaddis testimonial in place of the, um, Friendly that was canceled. Yeah, they had to cancel the friendly because of Brexit, um, or because of Brexit. Jesus Christ, because of <laughs> God, I'm, I'm fried because of Brexit because of the uh, COVID stuff. I guess is why they canceled it. But I'm down. Yeah, Ray got his testimony. I like testimonial matches. I don't think we have enough of them. That's like a unique soccer thing, you know. Come out and, and bring the guys who um, you played with. Uh, you make, make your squad all the dudes that you want to honor and, and say thanks to for helping helping you along the way and it's an honor to participate in those things too you know to be asked to do those those kinds of things i'm down for it let's do it ray gaddis testimonial listen if he needs a west virginia guy to represent at the testimonial i'll do it if if jack elliott's not available right or marlon leblanc's not available i'll be third choice uh mountaineer um, Paul Costa, he says, complete this phrase. Uh, God, Higginbotham is to Smith as Pantera is to blank. <laughs> Hashtag analogy. What, what am I doing? The SATs from 20 years ago at Reading High School? Oh, God. Um, Higginbotham is to... <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble here. Higginbotham is to Smith as Pantera is to Puddle of Mud. How's that? Is that fair? <laughs> so let's keep that one on the deal. Uh, Joe, Joe Lister says, uh, can we all agree that the union need a much better forward than what they've got now? Uh, yep. Yeah, I, I agree. Need that's, that's where you got to upgrade the squad for sure. Um, Trey says, I think the union are an incomplete team right now. It's hard to get a rhythm going with people out. Uh, does this hurt guys dogs chances of fully gelling? With the team before the game against Club America, I, well, no, I mean, I, I, it's, it still seems like they're searching for his best position. I, I mean, you guys have heard me say a million times before, I want to see him play at the 10. I want to see Jameer play at the 8. But, I mean, if, if it's Shabilko and Santos and, and Burke is gone, I don't I don't know. You know again, I mean, like if, of the 
six forwards combined forwards and midfielders that are on the field. I mean, you can make a case that five of those spots deserve to go to midfielders, and they're just better that way. You know, throw Anthony Fontana into the mix too if you want. They did second striker, or they played him as a striker early in the season as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're all on the same page with that. I just, um, you know, I, I we we see good things from this team as far as their de- defensive quality and their goalkeeping and. Uh, the coach is good, but right now I think off- offensively they're lacking. You know, I'm not if there's uh, if Plan A isn't working, I'm not really sure what Plan B is. And uh, yeah, they, there's that's where they got to kind of figure it out. You know, because this this team right now doesn't beat Club America, and this team doesn't win the Supporters Shield. And uh, look, I mean, those are high high bars to clear. You know, we're talking about a back to back trophy, and we're talking about getting to the finals of the Champions League. I'd say they've already excelled or exceeded expectations for sure, but. Uh, there's more there's more to squeeze you know there's more to pull out of there so um we'll see uh, how they do in the coming weeks uh yeah that's about it for this episode i'm still i'm still planning on doing the five-year thing i'm just waiting for uh to clear a hurdle uh that i'll explain a little later once that hurdle is cleared uh but that's still in the works you know i still would like to do something at the end of this month or the beginning of next month and you know do a live podcast and maybe you know a giveaway and a charity thing to celebrate five years of the podcast so um, I'll let you know if I have anything on that. And if not, uh, and otherwise, uh, have a good week, everybody. I'm going on vacation. No Sixers, no Ben Simmons, none of that. No Eagles. Uh, I'm going to do nothing and enjoy it.